0: Welcome to Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Silva. Holly Gordon, an earlier guest in season three said this, storytelling is our most powerful tool for changing anything in the world today. I really love this quote because it perfectly sums up my aspirational goal for this podcast, sharing stories to change you, your leadership, your team, your company. While I'm working on season four, I have a bonus episode to share. It's actually a story from my personal life and its surprising connection to leadership. So earlier this year in January, started out as an unusually busy year with a family trip to California, a business and personal trip to Madrid, and my annual eight-day silent retreat. I am so glad I made room in my life for the third time to attend my eight-day silent retreat in particular. Because unexpectedly, February was a month I would need to draw from my mental, emotional, and spiritual reservoir. My daughter was in an ice skating accident that shredded most of her left pinky finger. Okay, let me come back to that story in just a minute. I facilitate a leadership program called Managing Stress and Building Resiliency. And since the pandemic started, I've taught this session uh, approximately 30 times to over 500 participants. Now, There is teaching and knowing something, and then there is living what you know. Maybe because I've become so immersed in this material, I immediately drew from it right from the start of this crisis. Back to my 10-year-old daughter. Her school was holding an ice skating fundraiser event. Satara loves ice skating, and she's gotten quite good at it, and she brought a friend and lots of other friends were there too. And sometimes Satara went skating by herself because she likes to go fast. I was on the ice too, just enjoying ice skating myself and observing her from afar. And at one point, I was looking for her because we were going to have to leave soon. And I saw her down on the ice. And I thought, that's strange. Maybe she needs help getting up. And when I got there, she was screaming at someone, you ran over my finger. Well, when I looked at her finger, I immediately knew this is serious. This is very, very, very bad. I wrapped her shredded finger in my long gray glove. And after she fainted several times, we finally were able to get her into a wheelchair and then to a room near the rink. They called the ambulance, but we waited for what felt like hours for that ambulance to arrive. And this is that pivotal moment when I decided how I was going to be in that moment for myself and for my child. A million things went through my mind. Will she faint again? Why is she fainting? Did anything else get injured? Does she need something to eat or drink? I have to tell my husband. I have to make sure someone can take my daughter's friend home, et cetera, et cetera. So after making sure it was only her finger that was injured, one of the first things I said to her is this, we live in New York City, we're going to have a very good doctor. And turns out I was more right about that than I could have ever imagined. I also started listing out to her all the things that didn't happen. It could have been your entire hand. It could have been your right hand because she's right-handed. It could have been your head. It could have been your eye. Now, at that point, I went too far and she started crying, no, my eye, no, my eye. I'm like, no, sweetie, it's okay. It's okay. Your eye is fine. And at another point, still waiting for the ambulance, I stepped back a foot or two from where my daughter was in the wheelchair to talk with friends who were asking how they could help. Suddenly, someone was asking how I was doing, and this is when I fell apart for just a quick minute. They asked me if they could pray for me, and I said yes. When I came back, after what was probably three minutes, my daughter asked me, Mommy, are you scared? Well, that felt like a sucker punch. She was looking to me. If I'm scared, she's really scared. And I said, sweetie, this is scary. But there is a lot we don't know, so we're going to wait, and we're going to find out more of what's happened to your finger once we get to the hospital. But I also told her, this is very scary, and it's okay to feel scared. So a few details about what happened next. The ambulance finally came. They didn't take off right away. I asked what they were waiting for. Not in a snarky kind of way, but just wanted to know. And they said they were assembling the team and waiting to hear which hospital to go to. When we got to the emergency room, there were about 15 people waiting there for my daughter in the trauma room, ready to work on her. They cut her jacket, gave her fentanyl, washed and sterilized her finger in preparation for an emergency operation under a microscope that was to last almost five hours in the middle of the night. There is nothing like leaving your little girl who's in a drugged sleep with total strangers you just met. So after the operation, we got mixed messages. They were not sure if her finger was going to make it. But in the end, they released us early from the hospital. We were there for a weekend to just wait and see uh, and to just let her finger heal. Well, it's been about two months since her accident. She's getting hand therapy from an amazing therapist she loves, and it looks like she's going to keep her finger. It might not look the same as it once did, but she'll get to keep it. And she's only 10. Who knows what it'll look like in another 10 years, right? (laughs) But through this entire experience, I couldn't help but feel so deeply grateful. And when I took a cab back to the hospital after grabbing a much-needed shower at home, and he asked me who was in the hospital, I explained the situation. And he was like, oh, so she'll be fine. Yeah, she'll be fine. She was never at risk of losing her life. So what does this crazy story about my 10 year old daughter have to do with leadership? Let me take you back to that leadership program on managing stress and building resiliency I told you about earlier. So in this program, I talk about the definitions of stress, the neuroscience of stress, and becoming more aware of the things that trigger our stress, our stress response. And finally, in this program, we explore three resiliency practices, and really more specifically, perceptual practices we can master in the face of stress to become more resilient. So what are these perceptual practices? There's three of them. The first one is letting go of things we can't control. The second is reappraising events in our lives. And the third is adopting contemplative practices. Perceptual practices are about how we use our brain to navigate stressful situations so we can make thoughtful choices about how we're going to respond. An important side note here, other resiliency practices which fall in the physiological camp, like getting enough sleep, healthy eating, and exercising are super important as well. So what I'd like to do just for a few more minutes is to highlight three things for each of those three perceptual practices. Number one, how I applied each of these practices with my daughter during this critical time. Two, questions and thoughts on what you could do to start experimenting with each of these practices. And then lastly, what you could do as a leader to use these practices. The first one is letting go of things we can't control. For me, I couldn't stop that man from running over my daughter's finger with his ice skate. I had zero ability to treat her finger or to fix it, and I couldn't get that ambulance to the rink any faster. So I decided to let go of the things I couldn't control. This allowed me to intentionally spend my precious energy on things that I could control, which was to be with her, to comfort her, to tell her I was with her and that I wouldn't leave her. I also didn't lie to her and say that everything would be fine because honestly, I didn't know if that was true. I didn't want to pretend or for her to believe that I had control over things, which I clearly did not. What about you? What are you holding on to in your life that is causing you anxiety and stress that when you really think about it, you don't have control over anyway? Leadership, as it relates to letting go of things you can't control, leadership at its core is really about influencing people. We certainly don't have control over people. We show people the way. Why not think about conducting a control, not control, influence inventory, right? As a leader, think about where you have control, where you don't have control, and maybe where you can influence. And then let go of the things you can't control so that you can use your finite energy to focus on the things you can control and influence. Okay, perceptual practice number two, reappraising events in my life. So first of all, what does this actually mean? Reappraising events in our lives is learning to deliberately manage our interpretation of a situation. Stress normally distorts our perception of what is happening. Reappraising is about intentionally suspending judgment of what we think in the moment is so that we can step back and consider what could be. For me, thankfully, at the time, I was pretty sure we were not in a life or death situation. Boom. Immediate reappraisal, right? Listing all of the other things that could have gone wrong, that was reappraisal too. What are you going through in your life right now where stress could be distorting your perception of what's happening? Where could you use some help in suspending judgment and stepping back to consider maybe what could be happening? What are some possible options? I find it's much easier to do this with a trusted friend or colleague, by the way. Okay, and then as a leader, you know, rushing to judgment usually causes unintended consequences. As leaders, we may end up reacting or making decisions based on a stress fueled fight or flight response. And we may not be considering all of our options. And we may not really be listening to the people who are on the ground and have more experience or exposure to both the real problem and therefore the potential viable solutions. Instead, Gather people around you to see if they can give you other options on how to view the problem. What's another way of seeing this? What else could be happening? And then the third perceptual practice is adopting contemplative practices. So let me throw out a few examples of what I mean when I say contemplative practices. This could be meditation, practicing mindfulness, prayer, yoga, journaling, visualization, or even intentional breathing, which are all forms of contemplative practices that involve focusing your attention and awareness in a deliberate and systematic way. Of course, these practices have been used for centuries across a variety of cultures and spiritual traditions, and they can help us, you know, reduce stress and anxiety, promote inner peace, improve concentration and focus, and cultivate a greater sense of self-awareness And of course, develop emotional resilience. For me, my contemplative practices of choice usually include prayer, journaling and visualization. So my knee jerk reaction and response was to reach for these practices without even thinking about it. I prayed, people prayed for me and my daughter. I visualized us getting to the hospital and getting taken care of by competent caring professionals. However, the reason these are called practices is because we need to practice them before we really need them, so that when we need them, they're second nature to us. We have to fill our emotional and mental and spiritual tanks so that we have the fuel we need for emergencies and during times of disruptive change and stress. Which contemplative practices are you currently using? Which might pique your interest? How could you experiment with a few? What is your knee jerk reaction during times of emergencies and stress and difficult change? I think as leaders, we're always on the front lines dealing with stress and crisis. As a leader, our people are always watching and observing to see how we will respond. Leaders by default are the culture makers of the team, department or company they lead. And culture is usually refined by the stress and difficulties we face every day. Our resilience usually reflects the resilience of our team or our company. That's why when my daughter asked me, mommy, are you scared? She was looking to me to figure out how bad is the situation really? How scared should she be? Let me add in one more thing. It's okay to cry or to be angry or sad. We are feeling deep emotions for a reason. Our emotions are the red flags in our life that are telling us slow down something's happening that you need to be paying attention to. Listen up. So I realized that this was a big mix of personal with the professional. Um, But you know what? When I coach and work with clients, it's natural that the work we do has the possibility to change not just who we are at work, but who we are when we show up in our personal lives as well. Because we are the same person. You know that old saying, wherever you go, there you are, is certainly true. So thanks for listening. As I mentioned, I'm currently tinkering around with season four. I might try a few new things, so stay tuned for an update soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Da Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also reach out to me at www.WinitaSilva.com to learn more about my work in executive coaching leadership development and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at winnie at Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much.